There's a great book uh, by one of my favorite authors, Willa Cather, called My Antonia. I don't know if you've ever read Willa Cather, but she, her uh, statue is in the Nebraska State Capitol. She's one of Nebraska's favorite daughters, great novelist who wrote many stories, simple stories, but beautiful ones, mostly based in the plains of um, the Midwest United States, especially her home state of Nebraska. And My Antonia is a story of uh, a boy named Jim uh, who meets this family from Bohemia that moves with many of the Bohemian immigrants that moved out there to uh, farm or to work on farms. And uh, the girl from that family that's his age is named Antonia. And they take a liking to one another, even though they're from very different cultures, very different backgrounds. Um, And in many ways, Jim sort of loves her and wants to marry her uh, in, in the world that can't exist. And uh, the story, I won't ruin the story, but it goes on uh, all through their lives, their adolescence and growing up. And uh, Jim finally moves to Chicago and, and kind of makes something of himself while Antonia stays and gets married in their hometown, that small town in Nebraska. And he eventually comes back and visits and is sort of afraid to see Antonia because she exists in his mind as this kind of ideal. Uh, and he goes ahead and meets her and she's now had like a dozen kids. She's aged many, many years uh, and is happy and, and joyful, uh, yet looks so different, looks nothing like the Antonia that he knew. And yet they, they go for a walk one day, and they're sitting on this hillside kind of overlooking the plains uh, of Nebraska that uh, they'd both grown up in, that she'd stayed in, that he'd left behind. And they're just sort of silently reminiscing about all the years that have gone between when they met and now. And she says something out of the clear blue sky. She says, Ain't it wonderful, Jim, how much people can mean to each other? I love that line uh, because I, I don't know if you've ever had this with, with somebody in your, in your life uh, where you are away for some time and you come back and it's as if no, nothing happened, like no years have passed. You're just, you've, you've shared something so profound, so deep that the memories uh, dilate time. It's like a sound or a smell or a sight or a song just floods back something that's fainter because the time has passed, yet it's more profound, more deeply felt because of that distance. Particular memories uh, draw us to particular people that have deep, deep meaning and form us in who we are. Your friendships now, your friendships in college will be with you for a very long time, especially if they're rooted in something deeper, some truth other than just a friendship of convenience, if there's something that, that formed you and directed you in life to where you're going, these memories formed now will, will ring in eternity. But there's a particularity to it. It has to be that hill, that plain, that state, that person. Jesus recognizes this in his humanity when he comes to the disciples after his resurrection. I notice just three things in this beautiful story uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that the apostles must have, it just must have rang in the apostles' heart. The fishing miracle, right? They're fishermen, most of them, and they're fishing and they don't catch anything. And then this man standing on the shore says, throw the net on the other side. And then all of a sudden they get this miraculous draft of fish so much that they can't even pull it in. It must have reminded them of that day that changed their lives when Jesus did that exact miracle and said, Come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Or when he calls them to the shore where he's sitting around a charcoal fire and they give him the the fish and he's got bread and all of a sudden he's breaking bread and giving them fish, 
the loaves and the fishes that day when they were tired and exhausted and they were like, let's send these people home. It's time for a break. And he says, no, feed them. What do you have? Two loaves and a couple fish. Okay, let's feed them. And they feed more than they need. And they end up with like 12 wicker baskets of leftovers. That memory, which meant so much to them, which proved to them his power, is right there again. He's like evoking it in them. And then finally, Peter in particular. The charcoal fire is significant to him. He would have smelled that burning. He would have seen that glowing ember. And it would have reminded him of just a few days prior when around a charcoal fire, he denied Christ three times. I do not know him. And Christ calls him, as it were, apart from the group at that charcoal fire and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And those memories are brought back, and those aren't good memories. That's a shame. That's a regret. That's guilt. But Christ accepts his three times, I love you. And in doing that, Peter knows that even in that memory, which he doesn't really want to bring to Jesus, he doesn't really want to relive that ugly memory, that shame. He knows himself now to be loved in that memory, to be loved in that time. And now he's free. Even our memories can be healed. Even our memories must be healed. Because our memories shape who we are. Some of them are memories of triumph and joy and beautiful relationships. Some of them are shame and guilt and pain and trauma. A friend of mine, a kind of mentor, shared this memory with me. Uh, When his parents got divorced, his dad told him that uh, he was going to be effectively leaving his mother. And he was a teenager at the time and didn't know how to handle it. And he was sitting on the couch, and his dad called him over and said, you know, I have something to tell you, and, and told him this thing. It was, like he, it was like in a foreign language. His whole world didn't make any sense anymore. He didn't see it coming at all. It was totally out of the blue, and it completely shattered his world. But he didn't talk to it about it, about it to anyone. He didn't, he didn't try to deal with it. He just kind of crammed it down in there. And as the years went by, he realized that this was affecting him affecting his decisions, his behavior, his, his ability to pray um, and to relate to other people. He realized that he'd made some kind of vow deep down, rooted in that memory in that event, that he said, I'm not going to depend on anyone, especially anyone who I really need to take care of me or to be there for me, especially fathers. And God, being a father, it was difficult to relate to him because he didn't trust deeply that God would be there for him. He had this kind of um, implicit feeling that yeah, God was good and he was somewhat reliable, but he can't put his heart totally with God because he might not be there one day. He might just leave. And this memory every once in a while would come up, but he would try to ignore it, try not to think about it. Like everything about the memory, the couch, the place, the time, the bricks on the wall, everything. And little by little, he allowed that memory to kind of come up because he felt like God was trying to do something there, that that had formed him somehow, very deeply. And he decided one day in adoration to just sit with that memory and imagine all the details, the bricks, the couch, the smell, the sound, the feeling of being that age again. And as he imagined the scene in his mind, he saw God the Father, whatever God the Father looks like, on his knees in front of him as my friend's heart is breaking, with his arms open, loving him, and to his right on the, on the couch was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she was weeping. And it was a simple, imaginative meditation, but 
uh, it meant everything to him, and it completely changed that memory. And he said the, the, the phrase that came to him is, I didn't know you cared. You know, that this thing had happened to him when he was basically a child that had completely broken his heart. And there God was with him in it. Not in a way that was like make-believe, but in a way that was like, this is what was happening the whole time and I didn't know it. And God, in coming to that memory, like Jesus coming to the memory of Peter around the fire and his shame, now he can never remember that again without them being there. Now they're part of that memory, and so they're part of his story. We all make memories with particular friends in particular places, but in every single one of them, the common thread is that God is writing a story with your life. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it all means something. But it only makes sense in the context of God and his love for us. That kind of healing that my friend received, the kind of deep meaning uh, that the story of our lives has for us in God's plan, it's not an end in itself. Because all of that recognition of God and his part in our drama, or our part in his, rather, is for freedom. So you can be free to reign in his kingdom. This is the end of a school year. You're going on to whatever you're going on to. God is calling you. He's sending you somewhere to be free to reign in his name. The way that Peter, now healed of his shame, forgiven for his sin, can now go and fearlessly preach the gospel, even though it's going to cost him his life. That bravery, that courage, that freedom comes from knowing himself to be loved. All of your memory, all your life, God has always and will always be there. And when you know yourself to be loved in everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how much the people in your life that God has put mean to you, all of that meaning is drawn up into the Paschal mystery, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, which we celebrate in this season. So as you go forth, know this. Whatever memories you're forming now, what they mean and what they will mean years from now when you look back and you say, ain't it wonderful, Jim, how much people can mean to each other? That God is here and that he loves you and he's sending you out to reign in his kingdom.